Hey, pull up a chair. It's Hacks on Tap with David Axelrod, Robert Gibbs, and Mike Murphy. The Electoral College has spoken. So today I want to congratulate President-elect Joe Biden. The President-elect is no stranger to the Senate. He's devoted himself to public service for many years. I also want to congratulate the Vice President-elect, our colleague from California, Senator Harris. Beyond our differences, all Americans can take pride that our nation has a female vice president-elect for the very first time. So there you have it, Mike Murphy. The Sphinx of the Potomac has spoken. The Sphinx on the Potomac, Mitch McConnell, uh, um, six weeks after the election, uh, acknowledging what we've known for weeks and weeks and weeks, which is that Joe Biden is going to be president and Kamala Harris is going to be Vice President, now we'll see, uh, you know, if that message migrates down Pennsylvania Avenue. I don't have high hopes for that. <laughs> yeah, dubious, dubious. Well, look, I uh, I think we ought to take a happy beat here because we've been, we started this podcast in the age of Trump. We've navigated and commentated through all the foolishness, the elections, the ups and downs. And now the Electoral College has voted. And as, as Trump, again, shamelessly was tweeting, I could only... My mind's eye went to the great uh, Monty Python movie with the scene with the Black Knight standing at the bridge and King Arthur comes up, step aside, he won't. They get in a sword fight and he starts cutting off his limbs. And the Black Knight, and you can find this online, and like, oh, just a flesh wound. I'm fine. Come at me. I'll bite you. I'll bleed on you. And at the end, they just have his helmet in the ground. What are you running from, chicken? Trump is now the Black Knight. He's dismembered. It's over. But, you know, the echoing voice will will continue. It, it's sad for the country. Um, we've never had this, and it's close to sedition. He will go down in history as the worst president ever, but he will go down in history because he's it's done, Electoral College. So now now it's the death rattle, which will be painful, but it's still a death rattle politically, and I'm quite happy to see it. I do love that Murphy told the story of a dismembered knight as a hopeful in, uh, beginning to, <laughs> well, to this Trump podcast, it, it qualifies. Uh, which is, you know, I guess uh, we've redefined hopeful in the era of Donald Trump. I'm glad we're through the beginning of this mess. Uh, I will say this. I, I don't have the slightest remembrance of where I was in, this case. Uh, in 2008 when the Electoral College voted Barack Obama president-elect and Joe Biden president-elect. I, I doubt a, a breaking news alert went out 42 days after an election because a Republican leader decided that the winner of the election uh, was, in fact, the winner of the election. And, and I, I will say, uh, and I know we're going to get into some of what's been going yeah, on. We're all Electoral College educated now. So yeah, I, um, <laughs> well, I, I, I think they could make a debut in the college football playoff rankings tonight. Um, but I, I will say this. I, I'm glad Murphy wants us to be positive. I, I'm not about our democracy. I, 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 I think we all had great worries about what four years of Trump would do to this country. I think the last 42 days between Trump and a, a willing, mostly willing Republican Party uh, has done a generation's worth of damage to our democracy. Uh, and and I, I, I think... Um, we are commanded on a regular basis to have reverence for the symbols of our democracy. And we have seen in the last 42 days a general disregard for what every one of those symbols means. Yeah, well, listen, it's four years of that. I, I, you, you, I think that Murphy 
start off that way because he probably, you know, he was away last week. Yeah, I we missed had that the thing. Oh, my God. You guys got the Chairman Mao would have said too much. But we were, going. we were, he thought we were too gloomy. And uh, now he's trying to invest this well, with look, some sort of yeah, holiday cheer. I, it's horrible. I, just very quickly, I, I, just to respond to these cheap attacks, and then Before the floor will go to cheerful. Brother Axelrod. Yeah, go ahead. My point is, of course it's awful, but there's no time machine. And so the only way to go is forward. You embrace the good, and you, I mean, we're still going to have the Civil War in the Republican Party. There's lots of stuff to do. The most painful part is we've lost our moral high ground for all the horrible stuff the left is, you know, often contemplating. But it, it's got to be forward, so I'm choosing to be positive because otherwise you just sob into the rearview mirror, and, you know, that won't change. Now that, that, so. Listen, I don't, I don't think it's a matter of, of uh, looking back so much as what the implications are for the future. Um, and, you know, everybody, I mean, I was on CNN yesterday all day with the Electoral College, and there was a lot of talk about what what can, you know, isn't it over, can't, you know, what can Trump possibly do? Yes, it's over. You know, he's the only one who doesn't. I mean, I think he had a multifaceted uh, sort of uh, goal here. One was, uh, obviously, he can't allow himself to be called a loser, that is completely verboten in the Trump household. And so that was part of it. But part of it is more, much more insidious, which is delegitimization of Biden, delegitimization of institutions. In fact, let's listen to Trump on Fox News on Saturday night. When you look at this fight, though, you have 77 percent of Trump supporters who believe you won the election, according to a, yeah. a Fox poll. I've heard, I've heard there's, actually there's much a, higher numbers there's than a, that. There's a rally right now in Washington for that. Do you worry about the country being divided as if it goes to inauguration and they still feel that way and you still feel that way? No, I worry about the country having an illegitimate president. That's what I worry about. A president that lost and lost badly. This wasn't like a close election. Uh, you look at Georgia. We won Georgia big. We won Pennsylvania big. Uh, we won Wisconsin big. All right, so it's 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 you know fucking it's crazy. It's crazy. But 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 the bottom line lesson the, that he the bottom line message was he is not a legitimate president. Right. This is the same guy who spent five years telling America Barack Obama wasn't a legitimate president, wasn't even a citizen. Right. I mean, he you know he this is the game he plays, and he's got a lot of cult followers there. Yes, I mean, look, it, it, you look at that Fox poll, and you can only think uh, of another great Republican term: mission accomplished. Uh, I mean, he has done this. He's he has begun the delegitimization. Just for some background, he's standing at the Army Navy football game uh, at West Point, another revered institution, uh, whittling away at the foundations of our democracy. The one thing I would poke at you on, Murphy, is there's not going to be a civil war in the Republican Party. Well, we're see. Let the Republicans handle that. Okay, but from afar, the I surrender is already— I has his musket in his hand. But I, I am ready. Second Amendment. Yeah. The surrender's largely transpired. And, well, it and has, but he, I fear, go ahead, I fear go ahead. greatly that, again, I just think the damage that, that has been done is, and I'm glad Biden started to infuse his rhetoric with a little of this, because I'm not sure that many in the Senate have, in the Senate GOP caucus, have a shame gene anymore. I think that has, uh, has disappeared. But I think infusing that, because the, the importance of yesterday 
and 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 today with McConnell acknowledging this can't just be the what it can't just be that the electoral college decided this it has to be based on the how that this was done through the honest free and fair election of Joe Biden look it's awful but I'll ask you a question. What do you want? You want to put them in jail, the Republican Party? You want to outlaw them? I mean, give me your We soul. want you to dismember no, no, no. yourself. I, I, I don't. I already have, guys. This is easy <laughs> for you. What, I have skin in this game. I blew up my fucking career. No, no, hold on. But hold on. In a serious answer to your question, this isn't this isn't about this can't just be about Trump. We know we're not I'm not going to sit around for four more years waiting for somebody to walk out and, and be not Trump. You got to hear from Mitch McConnell. You've got to hear from some. You already uh, okay. see this. I, I get all that, but here, here's what you guys could actually do, because history marches <laughs> forward whether you like it or not. He's, this is where he tells us to go. <laughs> go. All fuck right, ready? Come on, guys, get out your quills. <laughs> I'm going to help you out. We're going to put away the crying towels from last week. We're going to get into action here. What we need you guys to do with the grip you have? Yeah, we can. We can reserve going forward 15 minutes where we rant and rave about how awful Trump is. I'm personally hoping the Southern District of New York throws him in jail. But the stuff we can control is Democratic Party's got to figure out how not to lose the Congress because if some Trumpy candidates in the Republican Party have a comeback, it's going to be really bad. And any hope to move the party off this stuff, which did receive the votes of 20, excuse me, 74 million Americans. I mean, we got to fix this. And they we they cannot have political success with this crap anymore, or it's going to grow. I agree. And no inside the that. party, we're 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 going to go primary people. You know, it's all coming. We spent a whole hour on this last week, and you know, I think we're in a, a agreement that um, if the Democratic Party doesn't figure out a way not to be just a metropolitan party, totally, then then it's going to they'll they'll never be able to yeah. assemble a governing majority. By the same token, if the Republican Party isn't, uh, as a friend of ours said, uh, uh, shrinking in all the places the country's growing and growing right, in all the places the shrinking. country's shrinking, then they've got uh, problems too. But, but Mike... But, but we need Trumpy Republicans to fail politically going forward. That, that's, that's what the battle will be. 126 members of the House signed on to an, you know, an absurd, specious, ridiculous case, uh, uh, you know, in front of the Supreme Court, which the Supreme Court smacked down like a like a a bug. But the fact that they felt that they needed to do that, uh, including the House Republican leader, Kevin McCarthy, that is concerning about where this thing goes. Yes, in the future. Totally. We're looking at building a statue. We're looking at raising some money to build a statue of all their names on it. The Hall of Shame. So their grandkids can know where the hell they were. I get it. I would love to do the war trials, but I know politics is marching forward. And mm -hmm. it, there are 74 million Americans who voted for it, and we've got to divert that river. That is the useful cause. I am all for the condemnation of Trump. I've been doing it myself for four damn years. But I, yeah. just, I, want, I want results going forward to change some of this. I want us, as Trump, I think we disagree on this. You think Trump will kind of move to Alba and still be president of the Republican Party and give all the orders. And that is totally possible. I think he'll decline more and there will be competition. But I'm worried about the ideas of Trumpism mm -hmm. propping it up. Now, it's interesting. I wonder what, just quickly to have a question for you guys, because you know the media well. Um, I know inside NBC, there's been lots of discussion about on noon on the after january 20th do we have to cover them anymore at anywhere near the level because that's his oxygen and they're tilting toward a hell of a lot less coverage which i think is totally appropriate do we think he'll be able to play the media violin to give 
voice to all these grievances and lies he's going to spew from his phony exile? Uh, or do you think they're, they will get out of the clicks business a little bit and put a damper on that? Cause that would be helpful. Yeah. I, I look, I think there's some hope in that. I mean, um, I think the, the one thing is he's likely to be removed from Washington. And I think the effectiveness of a, a Twitter account as an informed citizen and an ex-president is less than what it means to be sitting inside right. the third floor of the White House. So I do think there is some hope with that. And I think, quite frankly, if you know, I think your point on Georgia is really important because I, I think you're, you've you've you see there are Republican voters concerned about even participating in this election um, because they're wondering why a David Perdue or Kelly Loeffler have haven't stopped this stealing from happening. So and I think, you know, Democrats are, are poised in Georgia like they've never been in a runoff before, mm-hmm. organized, financed. Uh, and so I, I'm hopeful and I'm, I am hopeful that that cable gets out of that clicks business with Trump. It's been it's been a great elixir for what ailed a lot of it. Um, and it will be hard to walk away from. But it, it has to in order for the I think the project of democracy to move forward. Yeah, you couldn't agree more. Do we have that clip, by the way, from uh, Representative Mitchell, who switched from Republican to independent in the final days of his tenure in the House in protest of the 126? This party has to stand up for democracy first, for our Constitution first, and not political considerations, not protect a candidate, not simply for raw political power. And that's what I feel is going on. And I've had enough. Mitchell was eloquent in his denunciation, um, but... uh, he also was retiring. And, uh, you know, the other uh, the, one of the other people who was, spoke out was retiring. Only Adam Kinzinger uh, from Illinois, uh, right. who is still there, spoke out. And I raised this, Mike, not to like not to flay Trump, not to um, not to look back. But here, you know, it isn't the support of Trump that bothers me. It's the lack of support for democratic institutions. And and when you, you know, and the thing about these these precedents that we're setting here or shattering uh, is that it's very hard to repair them. So when, uh, you know, now if now it does it become sort of normal behavior to challenge the results of an election that you don't like uh, and, uh, you know, whip up conspiracy theories. Um, you know, after uh, after each presidential election, I mean, you heard Trump. I mean, it was completely delusional. But uh, I mean, this election really wasn't all that close. Uh, and uh, it was, you know, one on Biden's side and everybody rational person knows that. And yet, you know, you've got this you've got this 70 something percent of Republicans saying otherwise makes it really hard to govern. And uh, I, you know, that's a, how do you build a consensus around democratic institutions? How do we restore what's lost? That that's the challenge, I think. Oh, totally, and that's the damage. So one, we can't normalize this behavior. Uh, it's never, it can't ever happen again. It's got to be defined as what it is. Two, you need to recruit leaders in the tribe of seventy-four million 
to push the troops back to we don't do this. You need to replace Trump with new right of center leaders that are trusted within the tribe. You got to build that trust and they've got to move their people. It's what leaders do in politics. Our leadership in controlling a party, with about 10 exceptions, has totally taken a dive on this. It disgusts me. We've talked about it. But going forward, we got to win this battle. Because uh, if we surrender the battle, we surrender any work to repair the institutions that normalcy for half the country. Well, and I think, too, you saw a preview a little of this at uh, at the at the the pro-Trump rally, uh, it seemed more like domestic terrorism with the Proud Boys in Washington over the weekend. But, uh, you know, I mean, I think Republicans are going to have to unpack some of this because at one point the chant broke out at that rally, destroy the GOP. And so th- th- there's, you know, th- this this is going to be, th- this is going to turn inward facing, I think, rather quickly. Oh, I agree. It'll be interesting it, 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 to yeah. watch. Um, and I do, again, I think this is where you have to explain this. Because I was thinking about this last night, Axe, you'll remember this. 20 days into the administration, Barack Obama goes to Florida in 2009 for a stimulus event with the then Governor Charlie, Charlie Christ. Christ. And... You know, they just sort of shake hands and kind of half hug on the stage. And that was the end of Charlie's career as a Republican is the, literally <laughs> the right. beginning of the end. And so in order to put together an economic recovery package in in 2021, in order to get infrastructure done, in order to get, uh, you know, a, a, a real foreign policy that that is focused on our adversaries, you know, is going to require being able to work together and being able to sit at the same table maybe they won't hug maybe that's the admonition nobody touch anybody well that's Uh, good in the age of covid right but you you know i mean i I get worried that if they're not able to do that because the constituents think well you can't sit with that guy he's illegitimate he's not the real president well no no i agree and so the question is does trump still have the grip to force that you know keep in mind governor ducey in uh, arizona attacked by trump governor kemp in georgia they're still here they didn't i don't see angry mobs of republicans outside there We'll see. The big, the big civil yeah, war primaries. is going to be the primaries in 2020. Yeah. Uh, my, my, my the shot clock has started. <laughs> the, the way the Democrats could help here is give up that Pelosi playbook to play chicken and, and, and get stuff done by giving up a little more than they want to. Because if we had a productive Washington that, that touched people who work with their hands and all the disaffected mm-hmm. people in our society, which has been hurt even more by COVID, because guys like us can make millions sitting on a Zoom call. They can't. But address some of that stuff and back off the ideological wins, even indulge the republics a little bit to get some progress going. You're going to civilize them more. you got to give them some incentives. Good segue to the stimulus that is winding its way through. And look, I, I'll echo what Murphy said, uh, less the Pelosi shot that he took, uh, but uh, more. <laughs> oh, come on. Just uh, give her a kitten swipe. You'll feel good. I, look, and I respect her as a Paul, but she overplayed her hand on this one. Yeah. Um, well, I, I think what what is going to be look, I, I think what what Democrats have to think about more than anything is I, I think this is the last stimulus train to leave the station. I, I think this idea and you've seen this even from like Wall Street has said, oh, get what you can get now. and We'll come back in January. I, I got news for Wall Street. There's not going to be anything in January. Right. The, because, quite frankly, far too many people in Washington look at the health of our economy based on the Dow Jones rather than the line at the food bank. Uh, and I think this is the last chance to get something. Yeah, I don't know. To I, don't know that I, I don't agree with you on that. I really don't. I, I think that one of the things that McConnell's been trying to do is push the stimulus onto 
Biden's account, and he'll let him pass a stimulus bill, uh, and then he will call it, as he did with uh, Barack Obama in 2009, he will say, you know, the bank is closed, we don't have any more money, that's the last thing. Um, and I think they're doing, uh, they're, they're going to pass this skinny stimulus bill now, and they'll Biden will come in with a larger one. I think that they will probably pass that as well, and then they will close the window. I'll take that bet. All right. All of America and many all around the world are listening to us right now. So. <laughs> I was <gonna> say, <laughs> we are huge in the Nordics, and they now know that I right. think you're... Africa. We are uh, apparently at the embassy somewhere. They love us because we're like, you should be drug tested after a statement like that. But I'm you're going to have to prove Gibbs that uh, that Democrats, even even if there are some elements of the Republican Party that are unwilling to stand up for uh, rules and laws and norms that you are willing to pay off a bet that you lost. Well, since I'm going to be the recipient. As I now rejoice in the civil war I've started among the left wing <laughs> of Exxon Taps here, step one in our McConnell plan for world domination. God, he's diabolical. Divide your enemies. Okay, then let's take a break right here, and we'll be right back. You know, Gibbs, every once in a while uh, on Twitter, people will write in and say, Axe, you make me nauseous. But nausea is nothing to joke about. It's like getting stuck in the back of a car and you're kind of a little bit hemmed in and you just you get that feeling and it starts in your stomach. It's not yeah, a good and, and and like you're on your way to something good, a, a celebration or party or something, and now you're nauseous and you can't get rid of it, except there is an answer now, and it's called Relief Band. Tell us about Relief Band. Relief Band is the number one FDA-cleared anti-nausea wristband that has been clinically proven to quickly relieve and effectively prevent nausea and vomiting associated with motion sickness, anxiety, migraines, hangovers, morning sickness, chemotherapy, and so much more. The product is 100% drug-free, non-drowsy, and provides all-natural relief with zero side effects, zero for as long as needed. The technology was originally developed over 20 years ago in hospitals to relieve nausea from patients, but now through Relief Band, it's available to all of us. Here's how it works with Relief Band. It stimulates a nerve in the wrist that travels to the part of the brain that controls nausea. Then it blocks the signal your brain is sending to your stomach telling you that you're sick. Relief Band is the only over-the-counter wearable device that has been used in hospitals and oncology clinics to treat nausea and vomiting. If you know somebody who deals with nausea, Relief Band makes a great gift. I'm telling you, Relief Band works. We know from our own experience. We sent one to our engineer who often gets nauseous during our shows, and he reports 100% cure. Don't fall for those cheap bands you see in drugstores or on your Instagram feed. All right. Right now, Relief Band has an exclusive offer just for our Hacks listeners. If you go to ReliefBand.com and use promo code HACKS, you'll receive 20% off plus free shipping and a no questions asked 30-day money-back guarantee. So head to ReliefBand, R-E-L-I-E-F-B-A-N-D, Dot com and use our promo code HACKS for 20% off plus free shipping. I would say there's one thing I think the polls are going to instinctually get once Trump's out of office after the 20th. Biden will get a wave of good feeling. 
There's also a huge national pride wave of good feeling exploding as people see semi-trucks full of uh, um, vaccines leaving factories in Michigan. Actually, in your congressional district there, X, I saw you out there waving. Right down Um, on the road, yeah. So, but anyway, this is hundreds of millions of doses. uh, This is going to create a feeling of national unity and progress and relief after the storm. And that is a golden moment for the Pauls to hit a couple of easy doubles if they're smart. Get something real going on infrastructure. There is a real window. And even, I get all the grievance politics and everything, but most politicians we've dealt with in both parties in our lives love to be popular. They got in it for the applause. And there's going to be a window in the national zeitgeist to deliver some of that in Q1 and Q2 as the vaccine builds. And I think I think they're going to feel that. What was interesting to me last night about Biden's speech, and we, we have a little clip of it. Maybe we should listen to that, and, and then I could talk about it on the way out. By his own standards, these numbers represented a clear victory then, and I respectfully suggest they do so now. If anyone didn't know before, they know now. What beats deep in the hearts of the American people is this, democracy. The right to be heard, to have your vote counted, to choose leaders of this nation, to govern ourselves. In America, politicians don't take power. People grant power to them. Rightly celebrative. I, I said last night, the Biden knows uh, Trump a great debt of gratitude because few, no politician in history has been uh, able to give more victory speeches in one election than... Uh, <laughs> that is true. What was interesting to me is he tore into the attorneys general who filed that bogus suit. He tore into the 126 House members. And then he said, we're already hearing from some of my old colleagues in the Senate who have accepted the the results. And it's very and he never condemned McConnell. Uh, McConnell stands up this morning and does his thing. Um, and there's no doubt in my mind that he's been communicating with McConnell. Uh, and the question is, what does that mean? Because at the end of the day, Mitch McConnell's biggest concern is protecting and enlarging his majority. Uh, and, uh, you know, will he will he extend to Joe Biden uh, more uh, cooperation and courtesy than he did to Obama? And I think that's a, you know, that's an open question. And we'll have to see, you, you know, Biden apparently thinks so. Uh, but I don't know. Gibbs, you and I were witnesses. Uh, it, it, we, we got the sort of back of the hand there. Yeah, I, look, I think it's, I mean, I think, one, the dynamics of what, as is, is Murphy appropriately pointed out, what happens in Georgia will be important, right? Um, not just for what it may mean for the number of Democratic senators, but also for the psyche of Republican office holders, particularly on the Senate side, because they're, they're, they're going to be getting a preview of what an electorate looks like in 2020 for them. Or, sorry, 2022. Uh, look, I, I'm hopeful that the get shit done caucus takes over and you know things like an infrastructure bill can get done i would love if another economic recovery bill got done uh i think there's a lot of things that they could do together i'm not altogether um hopeful to believe that that's going to happen i think the window will be extraordinarily small i think some of these nominations are going to be extraordinarily bumpy because um because of of what the numbers might look like in the Senate. And I think uh, I I think Biden is right to invest, continue to invest in the McConnell relationship. We'll we'll see 
quickly, I presume, what the return on that investment is. I am also hopeful about another economic recovery package because now that I've got Gibbs hooked, it's going to add to my own economic recovery. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, uh, you, you got it, Yeah, you exactly. Got... I'm going to take in some of that McDonald's yes. money. The Axelrod economic recovery. <laughs> Do tell. The humiliation of Gibbs could be enough to get McConnell there. I'm going to make a call right after the podcast. So uh, he, here's something to think about, though, as Democrats. You guys are kind of, after the First World War, Lloyd George, the great prime minister of the UK, said he planned to squeeze the hun till the pip squeaked. And, you know, we kind of know how that worked in the interwar period. Churchill at the time and later says, no, no, you got to be generous to defeat it. So the Dems, I think, I think, I think Biden gets this being a good backroom, Paul, great one. They, it is a time not to have to win every negotiation. You got to get them on their feet and, and, and incentivize them to another path. So what the Republican, you guys, your heads are going to explode. But what the Republican legislative leaders always thought during the Obama era, with maybe the exception of the famous almost Boehner deal, was they'd go over. You guys would do incredible bipartisan speeches. They go over there and, you know, here's 96 percent of what we want. See, we're ready to compromise. And they were like, <laughs> 96 is a lot. And so Biden for the first year ought to be a little soft to get motion. Then he can crack down a year or two going into the midterms. But and his caucus has to know that you got to you got to incentivize Mitch to see a win or they will go for opposition and try to take the House where, by the way, they're in a pretty good position if things get bumpy there. That's that's big candy for them. So just just to, just for the sake of history, uh, getting history, history <laughs> straight time. here. I mean, McConnell, go back and read the interview McConnell did in The New York Times in January of 2010. And he said we were not going to give him he ran saying that he was going to create you know a postpartisan bipartisan kind of government and if if and and we weren't going to give that to him we weren't going to give that to him now he may have a different attitude because he said we'd never be heard from again he may have a different attitude about biden these may be different times uh we shall see and we'll see how much maneuverability he has given the uh, toxicity that still exists within the Republican base. Right. It's very much two angels, right and left shoulder, and anything the D's can do, and it's in their own interest, too, because if the Repubs go into full meltdown opposition mode in the House, politically it could help them. Um, so you got to lure them out of that. So, Axe, do you think you're going to win your own bet, or did you just bet against your own? Are you well, I think the odds against? just shifted. Mitch listens, and now we're in trouble. I think you shorted your own bet. <laughs> no, I think we're going to get that. I'm going to win that bet because I think the way McConnell, uh, the way he slams the door on additional spending is to say, uh, you know, I'm going to let you complete this uh, this uh, recovery from the, the virus. But now we have to get serious about the deficits that exploded. He won't say this under Donald Trump, even before the virus. Uh, and, you know, the Republicans, I've said it before here and elsewhere, they're seasonal defi deficit hawks. No, th that's true, though. I will say the deficits of exploding. Trump made it worse after all the complaints we legitimately had about Obama spending. Then Trump doubled down. It's unbelievable. But the whole category has been out the window for 20 years. More like quadrupled down, but sure. The deficits shrunk by two thirds under uh, under Obama. So that's not really a good argument. But. There's a whole lot of discussion about what the what the needs of the country are in the short and midterm because there's a demand problem. There's not a there's not an inflation problem. Interest rates are you know 
historically Ridiculous. low. Yeah. And so the question is, how do you pump up? Uh, how do you deal with this inequality issue? How do you how do you uh, raise wages, create jobs uh, and an economy in which people are spending money? Well, yeah, look, every le- legit economist says that they would rather have a smaller package sooner than a bigger package later because the problem compounds. You know, you've got people who are 200 bucks away from poverty. So the faster you can pump dough out uh, efficiently, the better. And that's uh, that's why I'm okay with the, the whatever. We're see there's a bipartisan Senate compromise of about 160 billion plus like 780. That that sounds pretty good to me. Just do it. You know, don't yeah. quibble over the last 200 million billion or some deal where you really want states to get an extra thing. You know, that's what I said about loosen up and just speed kills on this. So go go out and get it done, and then you can fight again next quarter. Bernie Sanders is urging a no vote. Uh, on this, and he said, you know, and there, there's something to this. We, you know, the House passed a 3.4 trillion dollar bill in May. Uh, they negotiated down to, you know, they made a 2.2 billion trillion dollar offer. And now we're down to 700 billion, and he's, you know, uh, you're going to hear some of that. Yeah, and I think his also his point is that a bunch of it is actually already appropriated unused money. Right, like 180 is new money. Yeah. Look, here, here's what, what I would do if I was Bernie Sanders, because he's in this effort with Josh Hawley. Have Josh Hawley call Donald Trump, right? If Because let me tell you, if this is only going to get nine votes now, as Murphy, I think, said at one point, if Josh Hawley can get Donald Trump to get behind $1,200 stimulus checks, you'd get 90 votes by lunch. Okay. Well, I don't it, know. It, would it, the D's it, go for the Trump plan? I don't know. Yeah, they, they would. If you added in twelve hundred dollars stimulus checks into what's but going on, on top, what, what Hollywood say is only that, and then the Dems would say no, no. No, I don't think you can do only money? that because I mean, it, this happened with Mnuchin last week. You give a twelve hundred dollar check to somebody who's losing, you know, five thousand dollars in unemployment, and who's also going to, oh, by the way, be evicted at the end of January. Look, if I'm, I, 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 if I was a Democrat, I would, I'd vote for what Bernie Sanders is saying on an amendment, but I don't think you can kill the whole package. Because to Murphy's point, um, we have to have something in, something has to get into the pipeline. Listen, I, let, let me just make this really, really clear. And I know you guys agree with me on this. There are people out there who are just getting slammed. Absolutely. Who, who lost their paychecks, who lost their small businesses. And and they're, they're rightly furious that for months and months and months, the piles have been talking. Whatever their motivation, I think Pelosi was trying to get a better deal. Uh, but whatever the motivations, uh, the impression that people have is that the politicians in Washington position against each other and play games. And meanwhile, they're out here suffering. Well, they're not wrong about that. Yeah, I was going to say, they think that because they're right. They're on to something. They can't. These folks, they are going to pass something by Friday because they can't go home. And face well, no, no, their, and look, they're human. They want to. There's, there is legitimacy to some of it about philosophy and which channels, uh, you know. So the good news is they are going to get something done. The other thing is the the one thing that's a bit of a canard is the eviction deal. Uh, I'm I'm around that space. It's really uh, uh, when you uh, and I own some rental stuff. It you don't evict because you the cost of replacing it's much easier to coast for a while and not collect the deal and by the way here in california you can't evict anybody anyway uh forever that said i agree with the overall point if you 
work with your hands in the COVID economy, you are dying. Right. Yes. Economically. Yes. And yes. so it is worth it systemically, even for a fiscal hawk like me, to inject some money now because the cost of digging out of this, if we have another couple of lost GDPs, including that stock market everybody loves, is capable of crashing, could it could compound worse. So I hope they pass it in an hour. You started to see this again. It started over the weekend, and I think it. you're, you're right, David, we'll get something. I mean, you, you, you saw people like Steny Hoyer saying exactly what you said, Murphy, which is you, compromise means you don't get everything. Compromise means you get some of what you want and most of what you need, and you go try to sell it. And I think... Look, this will be the, the the first three months of Biden will depend on the ability on I think on both sides to get to have that carry the day. Uh, and we'll see on both edges of the Democratic and Republican caucus whether they lo- allow that to happen. Exactly. That's what it's going to come down to. And Bernie is an edge. He would rather have a great deal that may never happen than a good deal in 48 hours. OK, then let's take a break right here and we'll be right back. larger point about people who work with their hands it's not just in the it's not just in the uh uh in the pandemic that those folks are not given their due uh it's also uh, at other times and you know the the i've said this was what we talked about all last week when you were gone uh murphy oh uh, i heard it I, I got the letters democrats Democrats, <laughs> you know, when when Democrats say we're going to follow the science, well, yeah, you, you want to follow the science, but that's heard much differently. The experts, the science, the, the you know, the people who know, uh, you know, and uh, there are a lot of folks out there who just feel like they are being lectured at from some moral high ground uh, when they're out in the world kind of scuffling and trying to get by. And... Uh, you know, it's, there needs to, and I think Biden is good on this. I think Biden understands that, and his language is good on this. But it's something the Democratic Party has to get back into. It's, you can't be the party of, of, uh, of working, uh, of working people, and not hear that frustration. Uh, doesn't mean you shouldn't do what you need. You you have to do what you do on the virus, on climate, and all these other things. But it has to be done in concert with people with understanding about what their situation is. Otherwise, you're going to have this divide and you're not going to solve it. So anyway, Georgia, we didn't finish up on Georgia. Uh, you know, it seems to me that this whole discussion on the stimulus points out why the Georgia races mean something, because it does make a difference, you know, who has that gavel in the Senate as to what kind of stimulus. Yeah, but it's even more complicated than that, because if you... If you give all the power to the Dems, I guarantee you the R's are going to go into full resistance opposition mode. So the question is, it's kind of like the old debate in Israel. Do you give you know, our traditional enemies something worth losing to get them to the bargaining table to incentivize partnership? And it's a tough call. Now, the politics of Georgia, which I think we, now that we've 
we've kind of solved the philosophy of uh of, of, yeah man we are highfalutin guys yeah. yeah no no where, where's that nobel prize for mccain used to have a great joke about economists by the way He's, he was quoting harry truman he said well yeah i get all of these economists briefing me and like harry truman i'm dying for a one-armed economist because with these guys it's always on the one hand but on the other <laughs> hand <laughs> so but the point is on georgia first of all who knows that we can trust polling anymore there are issues there but it is tighter than the R's thought. That is the view inside the, the bunker that this thing, one, we have lousy, I think we have four challenge candidates to begin with, but the two Republicans are not home run hitters. Uh, and it's tight. It's tight, tight, tight. So we could have a tied senator plus one. The one thing I would say, Mike, is even if Democrats were to win control of the Senate, uh, the the control the margin would be so narrow. All it would mean is that you could get things on the floor. Uh, it doesn't mean that you can enforce in every case your your you know you know your whole agenda. Because as we've seen, there are moderates on both sides of the aisle, and so uh, I, I wouldn't assume that you know if Democrats win the Senate, that somehow the Senate is going to become sort of open sesame to every Democratic dream you know i don't we we learned that with 58 or 59 right, right. senators <laughs> though the other incentive when you can get anything to the floor the campaign guys on both sides say great let's start getting razor tooth votes for the campaign to get control in two years you know it becomes a big kabuki theater deal too which is and everything's a wedge vote back to georgia i mean i i do think look i we, we talked about this a bit a few shows ago and and i think when you look at what normally happens in these runoffs, right? And and look, there's a <laughs> there's a historical reason why these runoffs were put in place, right? We won't get into to all that, but yeah, well, I think if uh, we can take a thirty second Democratic apology for the reason that the Democratic Party invented runoffs in the South, but or we can just get to it later. Well, we okay. Well, we we, we won't. <laughs> I couldn't we won't, resist that. We won't get into the fact that Democrats rolled out of this and Republicans rolled it back in Georgia. But it's an old segregationist tactic to keep white Democratic senators in power that's outdated, but it's still here and it no longer does that. And solidified by white Republicans in the modern era who realized the whole racial campaigns were what kept them in 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 office. But I, I do think. Look, listen to Gibbs talk for ten seconds. Murphy, before you get into a fight about the politics of the South, because he's a son of Alabama, man. He's I know, I know, no, I know, I, do, I know. But I do think what's what what is interesting this time is you, you actually I think for the first time in the two big runoffs that we, we we talked about, this is sort of the third of that going back to ninety two. This is the first time you've got a real uh, a real organized Democratic Party in in a in a it's coming off of a big win, but it, it it has some real juice. It has a ground game. It's one that's been building uh, for quite longer than just a couple of months or even a couple of years. This is a decade long project. It's got financing. I agree with Murphy. They're, they're not ideal candidates, but I think um, there are on the Democratic side, uh, you know, particularly in, in Reverend Warnock, a candidate that can can get the base vote excited. Um, and I think it will be an interesting test to see whether those suburbs in Atlanta are invested in what, what's the degree to which those suburbs are invested yep. in, in, in a real amount of change. And I, I think it's going to be fascinating to watch. Did you guys see the debate by the way? Oh my God, that yeah. was something else. Yeah, no, I did but, see I, it. They both lost. I mean, I thought she was yeah. worse than him, but he had an opportunity to put it away and he, he choked and she was an embarrassment. 
David Perdue is in the witness protection program, yeah. lest anybody ask him about his. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's where he belongs. Lest anybody ask him about his his stock picks during COVID, uh, and he ends up incriminating himself in a. No, no, it's case. a humdinger in every dimension. I just think the news is is too close to call, yeah. which generically is a fairly promising sign for the Dems. Murphy, how worried are Republicans that that all of what is going on around Trump will will put a huge damper on Republican turnout. They're worried. They're worried. They were worried during the, the, the technocrats uh, were all worried during the election that he scared away our own mail-in vote. I mean, you know, believe me, what the, what you guys have to understand is the Dems are doing the right thing on Trump, but they're also politically incentivized to do that. I mean, I think they're honestly offended, as I am, as you guys are. In the Republican world, they're all like a bunch of captives. Uh, they're like, well, it's suicide to oppose Trump, and I've decided to live rather than be a patriot. And it's disgusting, and they all deserve condemnation for it, and I want to build this statue. But they're just trying to wait them out and and kind of see if they can creep their way back. That's what 90% of them are doing. I mean, I believe that Republicans will probably come out and vote. But, you know, he's made it really complicated down there, and he's got a civil war going on right within Georgia because he's after the governor, after the secretary of state, you know, so he's made it more complicated. But one thing he is doing, you guys, is there's always a scam around the corner. Uh, Now that the whole legal challenges to the election are coming to a close and he raised probably three, four hundred million off of that, that he's going to pocket for his pack under the guise of raising legal defense money. Now he's raising money to help the Georgia candidates and 75 percent of it go right into his pocket, into his pack. Zero of it goes to Georgia. Uh, And, you you know, you got to give him credit. There is there's never there's always a con around the corner with this guy. No, he's he's starting a new organization called uh, Committee Against Secular Humanism to reach out to the Christian vote, make your check payable to cash. It's unbelievable. It, it you know, and again, we're looking at a class action suit on behalf of donors. My my favorite thing is if you've got a friend who is uh, uh, is addicted to donating to Trump, at least tell them apparently there is an automatic box um, that you have to you have to basically uncheck, but you can also. The great thing is, is David, the, the Georgia race, which is a little like three weeks away, is so important that you can invest in it over the course of spreading out your donation as a recurring monthly donation <laughs> over the next 12 months, right? So this person will be a good year into their term in the Senate, and some unwitting Trump donor is still going to be paying to protect the Georgia Senate vote. So um, just uh, please talk to your friends over the holidays and don't let them do something well, even more stupid. We will be back to cover that Georgia race. We're going to do a little housekeeping here. That We are off for our holiday break after this episode, but we will be back in the new year. And I know you guys want to join me in thanking the crack staff that prop us up like the proverbial turtles on the fence post. <laughs> We, I'll try to rattle off the names of our, our hundreds of, uh, of in our empire here. Just give them the top four. Okay, top four. We're going to Mr. Jeff Fox. Colonel Jeff Fox right. is the audio designer and engineer. Big salute to him. Miss Hannah McDonald, who has to schedule Axel Rod, which is like trying to get a chimp to play the piano. It is not easy, but she's a wizard. And the great <laughs> Allison Siegel, who is uh, uh, basically the, we're, we're, we're called by her true name, the boss of Axel Rod Incorporated and the Hex podcast, uh-huh. who helps us get this all thing right. cranked out. So thank you here, to here. all of them. 
Thank you. And to Swifty and and Lurch, our agents at the William Morris Agency, are always busy at work trying to get us over a hundred dollars an ad. So anyway, we have a whole team, and we're very grateful to all of them for for helping us. Uh, I think that we were. I haven't done an episode count, but we cranked out quite a few of these things. We have, yeah, we have. And to you, our listeners, let's finish with them. Happy holidays. Enjoy it with your families. Just to be clear, every episode actually starts with Allison telling us to actually record what we're about to say. No, it's true. Literally. It's like, it's the little red button. Yeah. Those, these great fights don't go off into the ether, and they're recorded by Jeff. And, and as you said, Hannah's got to get poor acts yeah. to show There's up. There's the occasional uh, week when she... Uh, instructs us to erase what we've recorded so <laughs> that, that's valuable too and jeff has to edit everything for hours yeah. and hours every time you guys break into the international for music rights we got to cut all that out so uh, it's, uh, he does heavy and we could have we could layer in some good music uh and also as, as murphy said thank you to everyone who listens literally and we jokingly say around the world i think there's like you know there are a few downloads uh, overseas, but no, thank you for are. everybody. No, don't yeah. don't discount that we got fans out there. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, no, but thank there. you for everybody that if we were able to help explain a little bit or get you through the nervous times, we're glad to have uh, been added to your podcast listening and, and hope you'll continue doing it. All right, let's take a minute to hear from one of our esteemed sponsors. Now, for the last time this year, one plug. If you have a question, send it to hacksontap at gmail.com. That's our special uh, uh, questioner line, hacksontap at gmail.com. And if you like the podcast on Spotify, radio.com, or Apple Podcasts, please like it. That helps the algorithm send us out. Or even click that little button down in the uh, lower right-hand corner on Apple where you can share the podcast by email with your friends to hopefully get them hooked on it or at least tick your friends off. So... With that, what's our first question, X? Murphy, we didn't thank your singers. We we there's a whole backup. You oh, can't no. see this, but there's like oh, an entire boy. backup well, okay. band. Okay, you got you know, me started. This will Murphy, be quick. Was... <laughs> so here's a trivia thing. I mean, haven't they passed on? They sound like they passed well, on by now. So this is actually okay. Little radio trivia from radio nerd Mike Murphy. In 2016, with my head exploding, I did a podcast uh, called uh, Radio Free GOP. It's still up on iTunes, and I went to the world's greatest jingle folks, Pams and Jams, down in Dallas, who had done just about every big boss radio jingle in the 60s and 70s worldwide, and that the tune you hear behind the singers is the old classic tune but they very generously brought in the singers to re-record a whole bunch of jingles we used to play including that mailbag jingle so there's actually a radio classic resung by the great folks at uh, jams and pams in dallas all right let's get some questions here what do you got ax okay mike murphy uh kathy says mike which is how i knew this was for you my question is about <laughs> the future of your party you have mentioned Dan Crenshaw as someone who may have a big future in the Republican Party. What about someone like Adam Kinzinger from my home state of Illinois? Uh, where does he fit in a rebuild? Well, that's a great question, Kathy. I, uh, I, I'm sad to say, with my heart broken, I was a big Dan Crenshaw fan because he served his country so well in the military won a congressional race, a legitimate conservative. He's building quite a following, and I believe he will be a rising star. The problem is, and this is a guy with a JFK degree, impressed a lot of people there. He's very smart, really looked like a new generation leader. But he 
he put his name on that ridiculous lawsuit from Texas. He was one of the over 100 congressmen who did that, which is a direct attack on, on the very public institutions he fought so bravely to defend. So I'm, uh, I'm heartbroken by the fact that Crenshaw apparently decided to be a drag, not a leader. Uh, uh, maybe he'll recover from that, but there's at least a cynicism in it, which really uh, soured my opinion of Dan. I think he let the country down. He ought to be ashamed of joining that lawsuit. Uh, as far as Adam Kinzinger, he's a hero. He's been brave. He's been impressive. I hope he has a bright future in the party. And, uh, you know, I'm on the side of guys like that and women like that as we, we we duke it out here. So kudos to him and a big Christmas lump of coal to Dan Crenshaw for uh, putting his name on that ridiculous anti-American lawsuit. He knew better. Can I just say that uh, to Representative Kinzinger, who's almost certainly listening to every word of this podcast, I do hope that Mike Murphy didn't just do to him what he did to that poor governor in Rhode Island, Gina Raimondo. (laughs) Hey, we haven't heard the last cabinet appointments yet, but... uh, They're fools not to use her. Wouldn't shock me if she were among those. She'd be great. Yeah. If only because they don't want to get heckled by, by Murphy. Uh, I so, like quality, you know. Sorry, I'm I'm for I, the well, competent Of course, why candidate. would you sit and why would you sit for an hour and a week with us if you didn't like quality? Oh, that's right, that's yeah. right. It's the hundred bucks an episode. All right, Axe, this is for you from York. Oh, good classy name there. Uh, we're just calling the Duke. The Duke wants to know, Axe, do you think that the fact that none of the Democratic leadership in Congress is under seventy? negatively affects messaging strategy etc there seems to be no way for younger talented members to advance so you're getting close to that cohort what do you think why is it everybody over your answer axelrod in the democratic party is uh pushing a hundred this is that was just though this whole thing was a set i'm not even sure york exists i think this whole question was a setup (laughs) my pen name for you to razz me about my advancing years look i i think that I, i i've said it before i'm a fan of Nancy Pelosi, I think she's a historic leader, not just because she was the first uh, woman Speaker of the House, but because she is a master of the House in in many different ways. Uh, but that said, we're clearly in a transitional period. I mean, you know, just the nature of things is that uh, you do have three leaders over 80. They're going to move on. The, the, a lot of the committee chairs are uh advanced uh, in years, too. And I do think Democrats need to, they've got a lot of talent in that caucus, a lot of new members, young members from the left, uh, from the center left. uh, And uh, it it is foolish not to take advantage of them. And yes, some of them have great insights into the modern uh, media environment that is useful. Um, You know, and I'm hopeful and I urge uh, this transition to, to new leadership uh, which I think will come in the in the next few years. You should have said that a little louder so they can hear it, but I agree. <laughs> Ed says, here's kind of a random question, but I've always been fascinated with the Oval Office. Can you talk about your first time in the Oval Office? How did it feel to be in there? What were your thoughts, good and bad? Why would you have bad thoughts? Huh? Anyway, go yeah, ahead. Yeah, I don't remember having any bad thoughts. I remember the first time being in there, we actually was in there. The first time I think I walked in there was when all of the ex-presidents yeah, were there. Yeah, Obama in there came during the during yeah. yeah during the transition and sort of a remarkable moment to see all those leaders there together. I think five of them, five presidents. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and look, I, th- there wasn't a week. There wasn't a, a you know a couple of days didn't go by that when you were sitting in a meeting in there you didn't kind of stop and look around at 
the architecture of the place and and really marvel at the discussions and the decisions that are made inside of that room. It it is a um it's a it's a pretty awe-inspiring space. It's a uh it, it meant a lot I think every day to go in there and and listen to and and help leaders make decisions. Uh it was um it, it reminds me of I took my son back the day before uh, President Obama left in um, in 2017 to say goodbye to the president. Uh, but my favorite moment involving the Oval Office was on the 4th of July in 2009. My parents had come to the White House um, for the fireworks. And my dad didn't move around real well. And at the very end, I said, hey, I, I want to take you somewhere. Will you follow me? And he was kind of like he kind of wanted to go home and he was kind of tired. And I said, yeah, yeah, just follow me. And he didn't really know the the real estate of the White House. He wouldn't have had any reason to know the real estate of the White House. But I, I walked him toward this kind of dark room that was that has a little rope and stanchion in front of it. And for for many of us, there's a 24 hour access list that allows you to get into the Oval Office. And uh, a Secret Service guard saw me coming, took down the rope and stanchion, and we walk sort of take three steps into this dark room. And my dad's like, "What is this?" And the guy turns on the light and we're in the Oval Office. And he just went, wow. And uh, it was just, a, it, it, again, he had no idea where I was taking him. And it, it, I think it has that kind of impact, whether you're a guest, it has that kind of impact, whether you're a staffer. And, and my guess is that it has that sort of impact if you sit at that Resolute desk and make decisions every day. You sit there and wonder, you know, the people that have come before you mm-hmm. and the 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 mark they've made on our country. And uh, the, the, you didn't tell the end of the story where you asked the guy for 20 bucks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now, look, you know, I, I, I'll just say very quickly, I remember uh, that day when all the five presidents were there. But the first day we met in the Oval Office, uh, the day after the election, um, I sat there and the, ch- the president inauguration. And he, the president sits in a particular chair, which is by all the phones and buttons that in case he needs to call someone. And uh, I remember looking at Barack Obama and over his shoulder and on the wall was a portrait of George Washington. And just to think of the continuum from George Washington to Barack Obama was uh, really uh, made you think about the the sweep of our history. Uh, And it was an awesome thing. And I never, ever entered that White House or entered that office without a sense of awe about the history that was made there. And uh, I'm sure that uh, the uh, this new crew that comes in will have the same will have the same feeling. My first time in the Oval, I walked up to the president, looked him in the eye and said, "Okay, where are the aliens? And he showed me. That's another story for another episode. <laughs> then he said, get the hell out. You know, Bush, Bush one, who I'm talking about, was a tremendous guy. But he would always, he'd always set a little timer clock in his head when the political hacks were in the Oval, you know. And it was kind of like, okay, before you guys steal anything, thank you. Uh, that that but, shows but he, good judgment. Tremendous. You remember, and, remember, Robert, when we were, uh, President Obama, President-elect Obama called us over to talk to George H.W. Bush after that photo and he said you know mr president this is david axelrod robert gibbs these guys helped me get elected and president bush kind of pumped his fist in the air and said nice going boys (laughs) (laughs) yeah my favorite (laughs) too is there's a little in 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 the oval there's a little it looks like a kind of nice 
polished block of wood with a red button right in the middle of it. And, you know, maybe a couple of third, fourth day, I don't know, somebody's, we were in there for a senior advisors meeting and somebody's like, Mr. President, what does that do? (laughs) Orders lunch, right? (laughs) Everybody kind of leans in and it's like, wow, does that like, does that call off the, you know, do they release the hounds? Does it launch the missiles? And as (laughs) Murray said, like you push it and he says, yeah, if you push that, they, they bring me hot tea. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, tune on ride. Boom. So I wish you guys a happy, healthy, with an emphasis on healthy holiday. Amen. And to all our listeners, and let us all hope, pray uh, for a better 2021. I'm, ho- I'm confident that we will uh, be that way. But I do associate myself with Trevor Noah's idea that we should celebrate New Year's on in July just to check out how the year goes before we get too celebrity. <laughs> about it, but. Oh, come on. You know, I am an optimist, you guys. I'm an American. We're going to be fine. We will get through this. And to everybody, a merry, merry Christmas and a happy Jeff, All right, guys. cue the patriotic music and take us yeah, out. Yeah, do we have like a public domain don't get sued Christmas thing we can go out of? <laughs> you got any Jingle Bell-ish? Not the real Jingle Bells copyrighted? All right, Jeff, it's up to you. We're seeing the new year, boys. All right, see ya. Bye, guys. <laughs>